This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card for this week is Ozzy Virgil. Ozzy Virgil, catcher for the Atlanta Braves. And Ozzy is number 755. A good number for an Atlanta Brave. We've talked about in the past that the Tops numbering system has star players as fives or tens. Maybe somebody at the Tops Corporation thought about this one when they were putting the numbers together and said, we should throw a Brave there at number 755 in honor of Hank Aaron's famous home run total. Ozzy himself, an all-star and a power hitter for the Atlanta Braves. Sounds good, and we'll we'll find out all about Ozzy in just a moment. But David, I'm looking through the queue here, and it's it looks like we have some follow-up from our episode two weeks ago. Last week, we took the week off. There were some major events going on in the U.S., which affected our recording schedule, you know, due to, you know, security and events in Washington, D.C., you know, is important for diplomatic reasons for us not to record. But we're back. And our last episode about Houston Astros pitcher Charlie Kerfeld, it looks like generated quite a bit of commentary on the Internet are there any comments we need to respond to or dig into? Recently, the 1988 Tops Facebook page has been very active, shared our posts on other baseball-related pages, and, and gotten into some fun conversations. And Matt, you might be surprised to learn that Charlie, with his actions in the 1986 NLCS, drew the ire of New York Mets fans particularly those protecting the honor of Gary Carter. Ah, yes. Well, I'm very always surprised to hear uh, about Mets fans getting riled up about something. Yeah, particularly something that happened 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I hold long sports grudges as well. Yep. But you know, the, <laughs> there were some particularly angry anti-Charlie posts on this one. And as listeners will recall, Charlie famously made a an agile cat-like reflex play on a Gary Carter ground ball up the middle and then maybe pointed at Gary Carter that was in game 3 of the 1986 NLCS Charlie may have also said some things about uh, the city of New York that people took Oh is to. that is that right uh, I also maybe called Charlie a non-malicious weirdo or something of of that and I don't, I don't know that his statements are necessarily malicious, maybe more trolling of New York. But <laughs> particularly one quote I found was that he said, people in New York have black teeth and their breath smells of beer and the men are even worse. <laughs> well, David, I got to say this when it comes to controversial, young, cocky pitchers from the South ragging on new york these comments i do not come anywhere near uh, where john rocker might have tread in years following this i think this is pretty innocuous to me it looks like you also found that charlie's stand-up routine or for some reason he ended up on the prime slot of 1980s comedy yes Charlie Kerfeld was a guest on David Letterman 
Amazing. On July 23rd, 1987, along with Connie Chung, Jake Johansson, and the late Carl Reiner, R.I.P. Carl Reiner, who passed away in summer of 2020. I'm not exactly sure what Charlie was doing on this show. I found some of the video of Carl Reiner and his interactions with Letterman. Haven't found the full episode of this July 23rd, so uh, action item for listeners if you have some old VHS tapes of old David Letterman shows. Yes, please, listeners, if you happen to uh, find a clip of Charlie Kerfeld on the David Letterman show, please direct it to us. We would love to see that. Along with that appearance on David Letterman, that was a big week for Charlie. Matt, you'll remember one of the top Charlie Kerfeld moments happened in New York City. Oh, this is the rib incident. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, the second most famous rib in incident, the most famous outside of the Garden of Eden. Um, <laughs> Charlie, that week, the, the 23rd, he was on Letterman, and the 24th, there was a double header at Shea Stadium. And I think, I, I'm guessing that during the middle of that double header is where Charlie decided that he needed some ribs. Yes. Maybe Letterman delivered the ribs, had them delivered. I don't know. Maybe there was some kind of deal made. He asked Letterman where's the best place in Flushing, Queens to get ribs. <laughs> but yeah, this is the, the trip where Charlie got into some rib trouble. Well, I, I love the thought of Charlie and Larry Bud Melman eating ribs together. That sounds like about as good a time as anyone could have. Let's shift now to Ozzy Virgil. And, and David, this is one of several Ozzies in the 1988 top set and the, and the first one that we're addressing here on the show. Interesting, of all of the Ozzies in baseball history, the Ozzies who played in the 80s, all three of them were all-stars. Mm. Ozzy Albies, who now plays for the Braves, is an all-star again, but there, there was a, a long Ozzy slump where only not great Ozzies were playing in the major leagues. But mm. the 80s was a good time for Ozzies in baseball. Ozzy Virgil, we this week we wanted to talk about somebody from Philadelphia or Atlanta after the events, after the events of last week. And those cities were in the spotlight. And we had some very good suggestions from Mark B. and David J. on Twitter of different players. A lot of Phillies fans want us to talk about Steve Jeltz. And I am more than happy to talk about Steve Jeltz and his great hair in an upcoming <laughs> episode. But the winning suggestion this week was from Eric R. on Facebook. He suggested a player who played for both the Braves and the Phillies and was an all-star for both of those teams. Wow. And it wasn't Dale Murphy. <laughs> Dale Murphy, probably the best known of, I think, of players who played for both teams, and my immediate thought of a guy who played for both. But Dale didn't make the all-star team when he went to the Phillies. Ozzie Virgil, first an all-star catcher for the Phillies, later for the Atlanta Braves. He also had a really great and impressive year in 1987 and has a pretty amazing connection to a baseball trailblazer fantastic well that is that's a lot to look forward to let's start first with the front of the card of of 755 with ozzy virgil this is david this is one of the best action shots we've seen in the series so far and that is that's ozzy taking off his mask lifting up his mask as a catcher coming from behind the plate when it looks like there's a pop-up and he's getting ready to go catch it and, you know, the umpire right behind him. 
Ozzy's got a a full beard that is at a good length. So it's not a it's not a super tight beard. It's a little got a little shag to it, which is very nice. Although the Braves uniform very plain underneath. But I'd say a very good looking card. Yeah, and I think the look of this card some of these cards the the name of the team is in an off color for the team's color scheme. This one the outline the blue outline and the red braves it works and it works well with that with that uniform look. It's good. Very it's good. Good look. Now going to the back of the card, so Ozzy 61205, pretty tall for a catcher actually. Right-handed batter born December 7th, 1956. He's got a birthday coming up. And from Mayaguez, Mayaguez, Puerto Rico. Yes, and at this point making his home in Glendale, Arizona. Ozzy born in Puerto Rico at the time that he was born in 1956. His father, I believe, was playing in winter ball in Puerto Rico. His father was uh, Ozzy Virgil Sr., so we have Ozzy Sr. and Ozzy Jr. here, the catcher. Ozzy Sr. was from Monte Cristi, Dominican Republic, close to the Haiti border, and was a real trailblazer in the major leagues, and on two different fronts, actually. So a little bit of background on Ozzy Virgil Sr. His family moved from the Dominican Republic when he was 13 to the Bronx. Uh, he went to DeWitt Clinton High School, same high school as Tiny Archibald and Cool Keith <laughs> and Gil Scott Heron. I don't know if there's jazz or bad hip hop fans out there, but I <laughs> I like uh, all those all those guys equally. Gil Scott Heron is the Revolution will not be televised, and Cool Keith is Doctor Octagon. If you like the ultra magnetic MCs, um, but. Much later than Ozzy Virgil Sr. Ozzy Virgil Sr. in the uh, late 40s went to uh, DeWitt Clinton High School. He then served in the Marines from 1950 to 52 and then started a baseball career. He played for the Giants, A's, Pirates, Tigers, and Orioles at various times. And he was the first Dominican player in Major League Baseball. Wow. Now, since the year 2000, almost 40% of all foreign players are from Dominican Republic. Wow. <laughs> and he was the first and Dominican born. He was the first born. one. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's 12% of all major league players who have debuted since the year 2000 are from the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic being a, a, a country of 10 or 11 million people. Basically just ridiculously outperforming on a per capita basis. We've talked about San Pedro de Macariz, which is where Sammy Sosa's from, and I think think Julio Franco is from there as well. Mm -hmm. They have the highest number of players per capita of any city in the world in wow. the major leagues. 14 major league players per 100,000 people. The next highest is three players <laughs> per 100. The, the top U.S. city is San Diego with 2.88. So San Pedro de Macariz, not a huge city, but they're supplying, what, five times as many players as <laughs> San Diego is per capita. And Ozzy Virgil Sr. was kind of at the forefront of this. The fact that he grew up in New York probably helped that and helped him get discovered because there weren't international scouts in the way that there are now. He started his career with the Giants and in 1958 was traded to the Tigers. 
At that point in 1958, so we're 11 years after Jackie Robinson, the Detroit Tigers still had not had a player, uh, a black or Latino player. And Ozzie Virgil Sr. was the first, the first black player and the first Latino player for the Tigers. 11 years after Jackie Robinson, the Tigers were the second last team to integrate. The only later team was the was the Boston Red Sox when Pumpsy Green came in the next year, 1959. So Ozzie Virgil Sr. then goes on to a career in coaching, again being kind of a trailblazer, one of only a handful of non-white coaches. He coached many years, and actually I found a video of him being an honorary coach in 2018 for the New York Mets. So he, he <laughs> later went on to a, a career with the Mets, setting up the Dominican Republic schools and training academies for the the New York Mets. And largely he coached with Dick Williams, who was longtime coach for the Expos, Padres, Mariners. Ozzie Virgil Sr. was always his third base guy for 10, 11 years. That is fascinating to think that there was a first like that so recently, given how that has changed in the years since. Looking at Ozzie Jr. now, you said he was born when dad was playing baseball in Puerto Rico. Yes. Watching some interviews with Ozzie Jr., he talks about not really playing organized baseball when he was younger because he was moving around with his dad from city to city as his dad played for a number of major league teams. He said, why play Little League when you can go practice on the field and shag fly balls with the San Francisco Giants? (laughs) So by the time Ozzie Jr. is 13 years old, his dad is coaching the Giants. He said he was playing with uh, Barry Bonds, young Barry Bonds. They would play catch in the outfield. Ozzie Sr. was a coach. Bobby Bonds was a player. And he didn't really play organized baseball until he got to high school, but he had a pretty good pedigree of uh, practice. So he grew up in Arizona. So another connection to last week's election results. <laughs> he went to Moon Valley High School. Other alums of Moon Valley High School, Richard Jefferson, Arizona Wildcats basketball player and later NBA champion. And Randy McClanahan, who played for the Raiders, not related to Rue McClanahan, unfortunately. Oh, darn. <laughs> Ozzy's number was recently retired by Moon Valley High School. There's a video of the ceremony, and you can see in left field this giant 20-foot fence. According to the school, they had to put that fence up because Ozzy would take target practice hitting neighboring houses. (laughs) So when they retired his number, they put it out on that fence that was put up in his honor. He was a high school All-American in 1976 and then drafted in the sixth round out of Moon Valley High School by the Philadelphia Phillies. He's drafted in 1976. His minor league stats are not on the back of the card. He played in the Carolina League and was in A-ball in 1978, moves up to double-A ball in 1980, and finally gets his first call-up in 1980, playing one game for the Phillies. And David, the Phillies won the World Series that year. And Ozzy, it sounds like, feels like he got stiffed about, about something. Yes. Ozzy was a September call-up in 1980. And in, in a recent interview, he said he didn't get a ring as a <laughs> September call-up. He did only play in one game. He went one for five in that game. And he didn't play in the World Series in 1980. 
But he just said there were five guys who were called up in September. You really, you couldn't just spring for five more rings to give to those five guys. Those are expensive rings. Those are very expensive rings. I didn't even look to see if they won the one game that he played in, but, you know, he he seems a little bit bothered by it 40 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in 1981, he spent most of the year in AAA and did play in six games. It looks like six at-bats, no hits, two strikeouts. Uh, so not <laughs> another a big ask, year, <laughs> another big year for Ozzy in 1981, but 1982, he is getting some playing time. He is the backup for Bo Diaz at catcher and plays in 49 games that season. By 1983, he's still a backup, but has, he's up to 55 games and 140 at bats. Still a backup for Bo Diaz, a very good defensive catcher in the 80s, and we'll talk about him on a later episode. Ozzy did get a couple at-bats in the playoffs in 1983. Again, this Phillies team goes to the playoffs. Ozzy gets one at-bat in the NLCS and then played in three games in the World Series. In that World Series, unfortunately, the Phillies lost to the Orioles, but Ozzy did get a hit in the World Series. 1984, for the season, he becomes a starter. But, David, it looks like the year starts off in a very rough way for Ozzy. It truly did. Uh, The year (laughs) itself started out with Ozzy getting hit by a stray bullet in Puerto Rico on New Year's Eve. Oh, man. He was in Puerto Rico playing winter ball. He was outside on New Year's Eve, and people were celebrating New Year's Eve by shooting off guns into the air, as you do. As you do. (laughs) And Ozzy was hit in the right hand. And as you said earlier, he was a right-handed batter and thrower. And he said it felt like someone hit him with a hammer, but it didn't hit any bones or fracture any bones. He just said it was, there was a lot of swelling. And so he returned to Philadelphia for treatment of his shot right hand. Jeez. And he was back playing by April 7th. Oh, my goodness. I think he played in spring training. and Very fortunate, uh, but good luck for Ozzy that it, it didn't break any bones or you know shatter his hand. So while Ozzy started out with some bad luck but was back by April, Bo Diaz, the other Phillies catcher, had some bad injury luck and was limited in his playing time. So Ozzy got significantly more playing time in 1984. As we see from his stats, he played in 141 games, hit 18 home runs, so some of his power is showing up. With that increased playing time, his numbers improved, and he ends up as the fifth best offensive catcher based on wins above replacement in 1984 in the major leagues. Great season for Ozzy. Shifting into 1985, it looks like Bo Diaz, his injuries continue, and Ozzy just keeps hitting hitting very well. Bo Diaz ended up returning from injury in 1985 to find Ozzy hitting over 300. And at that point, it was kind of Ozzy's job to lose because he was the hot hand. In, again, he ends up having a you know top offensive season for a catcher. He hits 285 with 11 home runs in the first half of the season. So really good. He's behind guys like Gary Carter and Carlton Fisk and Lance Parrish. The first half of his 1985 season was good enough for his first All-Star appearance. 
you know, there there were a few times in Ozzy's career where he his path crossed with his dad's because his dad was a coach in the National League. So a lot of times their teams would play against each other. But this 1985 All-Star game was the first time that they were both on the same bench and in the same dugout together. <laughs> the coaching staff of the All-Star team is the coaching staff that won the pennant the year before in the 1984 Padres, coached by Dick Williams and the third base coach was Ozzie Sr. So that means in 85, they're on the bench in the All-Star game. Too Ozzie, too furious. <laughs> so in that 1985 All-Star game, there were no less than three Ozzies involved. As Ozzie Smith was one of the shortstops for the National League team. Ozzie Virgil, a catcher for the National League. And Ozzie Virgil Sr. on the bench. So I guess with three Ozzies, you'd have to say Ozzie, Ozzie, Ozzie. That's a great first half being part of the all-star game with his dad, but it looks like his stats cool off for the rest of the year. So he finishes hitting 246. Yeah. in the second half, he hit under 200, but he had put up good enough numbers that the Phillies deemed Bo Diaz surplus to requirements and traded him to the Reds. So, you know, it looks like things are set up for Ozzy to be the 1986 starter for the Phillies at, at catcher. But I look in the card and the fun fact is that Ozzy got traded at the end of that year by the Phillies to the Braves with Pete Smith for Steve Bedrosian and Milt Thompson in December of 1985. Yeah. So this trade, you know, Pete Smith, I had to look up Pete Smith. I didn't really remember him, but he had a an okay run as a starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, but he had a lot of injuries. I knew both Steve Bedrosian and Milt Thompson had really good years in 1987. But Rosian was the Cy Young winner and saved 40 games. Milt Thompson had 46 steals and hit 302 in 1987 for the Phillies. So the Phillies got a good return on that. I also looked to see why they would have traded away both of their catchers. They had a young Darren Dalton moving up in AAA, and they had an another guy named Russell. And then the next year, they traded away for Lance Parrish. But Ozzy goes to the Atlanta Braves. Matt, these mid-80s into 1990 Braves teams were pretty bad. Ozzy Virgil was really the only addition to a team that went 66 and 96 in 1985. So I don't know if they expected him to be a miracle worker, but he had a kind of disappointing season in 1986. Playing in 114 games, he had a a 223 batting average, so not lighting any fires there. Yes, and early in the season, he was hitting only 178 through May 31st. Pretty disappointing considering he was expected to be an all-star catcher, and that team also ended up 72 and 89 in 1986. So really pretty disappointing. And these teams were basically just like Dale Murphy and not much else. Yeah, 1987, it looks like the team performance pretty similar, you know, only winning 69 games. But Ozzy had a better year. His his average clicked up to 247 and 27 home runs. That's a lot of power. This was his career best power year. It was also uh, supplemented by the fact that he had a really good stretch where he hit eight home runs in eight games between May 12th and May 20th. And by the All-Star break, he had 20 home runs at the halfway point of the season. So really a great first half of the season for Ozzy, deserving 
of an all-star appearance, his second all-star appearance. That 1987 all-star game is notable for a few reasons, but Ozzie Virgil played a very big part in one of the weirder all-star games. This this game was 0-0 into the 13th inning. And I have some links to some of the notable moments here, and particularly Ozzy keeping that game 0-0 in the ninth inning with a very strange play where you have Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield was on second base, Dwight Evans at first base. Steve Bedrosian, traded for Ozzy Virgil, is on the mound pitching to Ozzy Virgil. There's a ground ball to first. There's a throw to second for one out. The return throw to first was off the mark, but Steve Bedrosian dives to make the play, at which point Dave Winfield is running from third. Bedrosian throws to Ozzy Virgil. Six foot six Dave Winfield coming at him, and Ozzy just takes the hit, gets him out at home plate, gets a huge bruise for his efforts, but a really impressive play. So I'm looking at this. This collision at home, David, is insane. For an all-star game, that kind of impact. Good job, Ozzy. But that was not the only moment in that all-star game. In the 13th inning, Ozzy also led off that inning with a single. Hubie Brooks also gets on base, and then Tim Raines hits a two-run triple to score those runs. So Ozzy Virgil scores the first run of that ballgame. So not only did he block the plate, but also scores a run as the National League wins that All-Star game. One other interesting note I found from 87, there's a video that we'll post here. Ozzie Virgil hit a home run off of Paul O'Neill, the outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds and later the Yankees. <laughs> he was brought in to pitch in a 13-5 loss. And this is the only pitching outing of Paul O'Neill's career. And he actually put the Braves down basically in order, got a double play ball even in the seventh inning, and then in the eighth inning. Now let's see if Paul can get another double play ball. No, he can't, not this time. And Virgil has taken him right on out of here. The worst beating that a team has administered to the Reds in 87. Ozzie hit a three-run homer off of Paul O'Neill. <laughs> so uh, Paul O'Neill's pitching line is two innings and a 13.5 ERA, and that's Ozzie's Yikes. fault. Yikes. <laughs> As you said, Matt, that 27 home runs, big number for Ozzie and the best total of his career. And also, up to that point, the 39th best season for a catcher ever. But because of power numbers, moving in the direction that they have since 1987. He's been moved down a lot on that list. He was 31 years old at this point. This was kind of the last hurrah of his major league career. He had one other full season in 1988. He hit 256 with nine home runs. He went to the Blue Jays and played 12 games in 89 and 90, and then retired in 1990. So retiring in 1990, he follows in his father's footsteps, not just in playing baseball, but then going into coaching after baseball. Yes, I have not been able to find a lot about Ozzie Virgil's post-retirement career. I found a few interviews that he's done, and it seems like he's done some positional coaching for catchers. I think that he was a positional coach, catching instructor for the New York Mets. He coached in the Golden Baseball League, which... Pat Sajak was one of the initial investors in this baseball league. 
Uh, that's yeah. not, you're not selling it very well. I I think what sold it to me was that there was a team called the Surprise Fighting Falcons. Ah, okay, now that I can get behind. Except they only lasted one year. Oh, <laughs> and Ozzy was the coach that one year, and it seems like he and his dad are both still living in Arizona. Ozzy Senior's eighty-eight. And still kicking. He was an honorary coach for the Mets in 2018. He was involved in setting up the New York Mets Dominican Baseball School. Ozzie had a son who also played baseball. He played at Oklahoma State and was drafted by the Cardinals. He played one season in the minors. Didn't quite make it to three generations of Major League Baseball players, but still a a very good college player and uh, played a little bit in the Cardinals system. So let's close the book on Ozzie. What do you think after looking into him and his family? I think one of the things that's interesting about these cards is that you look at them as a snapshot of 1988, but also that interesting connection of generations. Ozzy himself was statistically a better player than his dad. He was a very good offensive catcher at a time when there wasn't that much expected from catchers. He averaged 20 home runs over four seasons, made two all-star games. And yet, in looking into this, the the person with the biggest impact in to the majors was his dad and the way that his dad kind of opened the door for so many players that we now think about as greats of the game. So many players from the Dominican Republic who have hit 500 home runs, been all-stars, Juan Marichal, Pedro Martinez, Hall of Fame pitchers. I love that connection of these cards to what what came prior and what was those kind of historic firsts. You know, Ozzy Sr. is humble and conflicted in the way that he talks about breaking the color barrier because he was a Dominican player and he felt like between two worlds as the first player, the first black player for the Detroit Tigers, that he wasn't necessarily a part of the black community. He was a Latino. And um, and so there's this this push and pull of um, so many different different topics that uh, that that have come up over the last 60, 70 years that that are still interesting and still kind of bubbling up today. You know, I, I think that I would leave it to David Ortiz, Big Poppy, to to have the last word on this, that Ozzy Virgil Sr. should be for my country as important as Jackie Robinson is to African Americans. That Ozzy Virgil Sr. was responsible for Big Poppy's career and that without him, there would be no Dominican players. And I thought that was an interesting point from, from Poppy. Yeah, paving the way for Sammy Sosa, Juan Marichal, Julio Franco. So, you know, Albert Pujols. And, and also opening the door for a player like his son to play. We, we even left that out, yeah. that, it, you know, that it paved the way for a player like his son to be an all-star player in, in the major leagues and to put together a solid major league career as a catcher. Very well said. Well, thank you, David, for that. Thank you to all you listeners at home. If you're a senior or a junior or an Aussie or a Zoe, we would love to hear from you. That's a shout out uh, to my cousin's kids, Ozzy and Zoe. We're on Twitter at Tops1988. 
please find us on Facebook. Our social media department would love for you to engage with our content there. Like our page. It's facebook.com slash 1988 Tops Podcast. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>